what pops up a beer or a cold libation? Let me tell you how I wrote this little theme. I went and took a call from brother Jason, and he tells me that he has a little dream. He says he needs a backwards intro to begin his podcast, and I ask him, what you got? He said, I'll start up with some talking and some moody clips of popcorn fighting fantasy explorations and some groundless exploitation. Kickstarts that I'm watching and some blind unboxing school month or movie marathon. Sometimes I'll let the dogs come on. Contest and of course you know it's all about games. I said, slow down, let's just start with the name. It's the Nerds RPG Variety With the other, Jason. Okay, folks, welcome back to Nerds RPG Variety Cast. I'm your host, Jason. I have a great mailbag episode for you today. I did run a game this morning of Dungeon Crawl Classics. It is a was a Kickstarter, a standalone module, Blackout in Crater Valley. It's meant to be a 1980s slasher style game, a funnel set in 1980s America horror movies. I'm not going to talk about it today, though, because I'm running it again for another group on Thursday, December 2nd. So uh, I will give a review of that module and talk about it and how that went on Saturday, the 4th of December. That said, like I say, I've got some wonderful calls. So let's get into them. Who's on the phone? Who's on the phone? Who's on the phone? Who's on the phone? Well, maybe it's your auntie or a joke by your spouse, but the operator's screaming is coming from inside the house. Hey, Jason. Daniel from Manitsky calling in about the OD&D oddities. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, I think it's pretty clear that the any player character does not have information unless they cast a spell, of course. And, I mean, to further, you know, prove that in some ways is that the fact that Greyhawk adds it, right? Greyhawk wouldn't add it to the race descriptions if it was already there. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Anybody who plays OD&D that gives player characters with just three brown books gives them uh, the player character races uh, any information at all. Uh, the dwarves, I mean, it doesn't even mention information in Chainmail, obviously. It just says the dwarves can see equally well in day or night, I think is how they say it. So, I mean, you can take that however you like. But, yeah, I like this new segment and uh, look forward to more of them. Okay, that first call was from media baron Daniel Norton, who has the Bandits Keep podcast, YouTube channel, actual play YouTube channel. He has products for sale on Drive Through RPG. I, I think you can find him on Facebook and Twitter and some of those things. Not positive about that last thing because I'm not on those. But he's talking about a new segment I started talking about interesting things in the original Dungeons and Dragons rules, primarily the three little books, although that might expand down the road. And I had talked about how. PCs, player characters, regardless of race, don't get night vision or dark vision, infravision, whatever you want to call it, in OD&D. But monsters, including humans that aren't PCs, do get that dark vision. They can see in the dark. But as soon as those creatures start working for people, working for players, then they lose that that ability to see in the dark. So it's kind of an interesting thing. And actually, also commenting on that segment is the next call from Joe Richter of Hindsightless Podcast. So let's hear what Joe thinks about that. Okay, so <laughs> Gary put a rule in the game where if you use Charm Monster on a monster, that monster loses its infravision. Like, for no reason. 
other than just to punish the player for using a spell that Gary also put in the game. That that sounds pretty adversarial. All humans can see perfectly well in pitch blackness, except for those pesky player characters. That that's just a big middle finger man to your table like they were breaking new ground for sure they're coming up with the whole concept but that kind of stuff just seems so adversarial like i i i like a more collaborative game where you're not just trying to punish your players but i i love that you're reading this stuff i know what i would do with rule zero now i would get rid of all that shit (laughs) but anyway man keep it up it's fascinating peace out so I don't know if that's adversarial. I think it adds something to the game because if your players all can see in the dark, then that takes away part of the danger of the dungeon, right? So it just keeps the difficulty level and the challenge of the game up there by making them fiddle with torches and do all that. And if they're humans, they're not going to see in the dark anyway, your PCs. And the idea, I guess, is I don't know what the justification for NPC humans seeing in the dark and dungeons are other than maybe if they live down there, they're used to it. So they're, you know, more used to their environment. You can think of ways to explain that away. But again, I, since it's baked in the rules, I don't consider that adversarial play. Adversarial play is where, you know, we, we have a bet on a sports game and I lose that bet and, and then I don't pay you and you're the GM and then you kill my character because I didn't pay you. That that's adversarial GM or adversarial playstyle. Okay, but Joe's not done yet. I don't think you misrepresented me, but I'm still confused. When I hear you saying Pathfinder requires more system mastery, to me that implies that it's a harder game to play because you need the system mastery. It's harder to play. Yeah, you said the unified mechanic makes it easier, but by saying you need the system more system mastery, that sounds like it implies that it's harder. And if something's harder, it's less accessible. So that's where I was coming from. That's what it sounds like to me. So if that's not what you're saying, if you're not saying it's harder to play, then yeah, my apologies. But I don't think Pathfinder requires any more. It requires different system mastery than those old games. Pathfinder is about learning the written rules. Those old games are about learning the unwritten rules. Either way, you still got to learn a bunch of rules and how the game is played. Um, Yeah, man, it's just it's just different. I don't think one's harder or easier than the other one. That's that's it. Peace out. That Reaver game sounds pretty rad, man. I'm glad you've managed to, you know, carve out some time for at least a game or two. That's awesome, man. Anyway, great episode, and I will talk to you soon. Peace out. Okay. Thank you. The Reaver game, which is a upcoming Sword and Sorcerer game from Raven Guy Games, Joe Salvador's company, is awesome. Great to play in. And, you know, who knows, maybe one of these days you'll get to join a session of that, check it out. If only when the um, the rules get released and then, you know, I can run it for you. As far as the difference between system mass, so Joe's call, first part of that call goes back to a previous episode where we were talking about accessibility games and system mastery. And I think they're two different things. So accessibility of the game is to be able to sit down at the table and play the game. And to be honest, the setting has as much to do with that as the rule system, as does the atmosphere of the table and all that kind of stuff, right? So if you're sitting down with your friends, it's arguably more accessible than, you know, sitting down with a group of strangers and especially say they're all the opposite gender than you or something like that. You, you know what I mean? So there are other things that can play into the 
accessibility. But let's level all that field and look at just the rules. Because um, like I say, setting can too, because if you like a game like Grantha, you know, RuneQuest can be accessible if the GM presents it the right way, but there's so much lore there, it could be perceived as inaccessible, it, you know, with a wrong group. If you start playing with a group that's all, and this could, this isn't just Grantha picking on that. This could happen in Star Wars or Star Trek or pretty much any world with a lot of lore. Heck, it can happen D&D with Forgotten Realms or one of those things where there's a lot of lore in history and everybody else knows all that history and, and you start playing the game, you don't know any of it, you could feel kind of lost. That can make it feel inaccessible as well. But I'm, and of course, the right GM and the right group can easily welcome somebody in on those games, a lot of history, and make them feel welcome. So that's a group dynamic thing. But as far as rules go, I think a game can be accessible, right? So Pathfinder, I think, is accessible because it's a unified mechanic. Roll D20, add modifiers, go for target number. Pretty simple, right? So I think accessibility is very accessible. I do think the system mastery part is different. System mastery to me is when you know the system well enough to effectively use all the bits and bobs in the system. So to effectively like link together different attacks to get a better final result or how to cast spells in the right order to do something. Or, you, you know, I know in Pathfinder 2, I'm a warrior. I'm always going to use that third action to raise my shield or something like that. That's system mastery. That's something, and that's different than accessibility. It's using the rules to your advantage. And some games have more rules, which make more effort to master the, all those rules, individual rules. It doesn't mean they're bad games. It doesn't mean they're inaccessible. But it, but they're, it's different. Like you said, and and like you said, it's different. So he, I have a quote here from Jason Vay, and Jason Vay does OSR stuff. He's into OD and D, and he's mixed in chain mail with OD&D &D in one of his games that he wrote a, a game kind of based in the world of Conan and all this stuff. And when, when asked the difference between old and new school play, here's what Jason wrote on his blog. There are two things that are different between that define OSR, old school versus new school. A rule for everything and taking away the power from the DM. Those are the defining phys, phil, phil, philosophy philosophical. I can't even say a damn word. Anyway, those are the defining thought shifts from old school to new school play. So new school play, where how you define how he defines that shift to new school is when you have a rule for everything and you're taking power away from the DM. And I don't disagree with that. And that kind of goes with what you're saying, Joe. These newer games have rules for everything, where the older games you need to learn how to do things without the rules had you know feel your way out and both definitely require system mastery there's no question about it od and d and your old style dungeon explorations where you have to th where you you're not rolling a die to get past a trap but you're describing the trap right well i'm going to i'm going to blow and see if there's any dust here and i'm going to see if there are any strings or hairs here and i'm going to check all the way around the coffin lid looking for anything or i'm going to cross over the pit how are you crossing over the pit i'm going to go all the way against the edge and get on my tippy toes and, and go on the edge what, whatever that is learning to do those descriptive explain what you're doing not rolling to see if you do it but actually describing what you're doing that that takes a skill mastery too so i'm not saying that pathfinder requires more mastery than od and d 
but I am saying it's a different kind of mastery. And I think when it comes to straight combat in some of these older games where really, you know, your attack move is just that attack where Pathfinder, you've got all kinds of variations you can do to your attack, do to attack different ways you can attack that requires a little more mastery of the combat system. That's all I was saying, but I'm not the only one that kind of keyed in on this conversation. So we're going to hear two different views now on this conversation. The first from media Baron Daniel Norton. And then the second is going to be from a wonderful podcaster, First Age, who has the podcast Gaming from the First Age. So I'm just going to play both those and then I'll respond. So as far as uh, system mastery, yeah, I think the more stuff that's involved in a system, the longer it takes to master it. You know, does it, you need to be a system master to enjoy a game? No, definitely not. I think if you're a new player, though, and you sit down, and I can say this from my experience trying to run RuneQuest for somebody who had never played any RPGs before, they just, they want to know what everything is on the sheet, right? They want to know what all these abilities are, what everything means. So it actually can be a little bit much for them to just sit down and play. Whereas, like, when I hand somebody a Swords and Wizardry character sheet, I can just be like, here are the six stats, that's kind of what they mean, you have a sword, let's go. And they just do it, you know, it's like a different thing when you have a game like that. So I think it's quicker to start um, with a simpler game, but of course, more complex games can be really fun for system mastery. Like we're running Hyporia, right? And using the advanced combat stuff can be super fun. It's not required, but it can be super fun. And that requires system mastery to really use it properly. Hey, Jason, it's First Age from Gaming for the First Age. How are you? Hope you're well. Um, thanks for your podcasts. I am listening, but I am late as usual. So I'm, although I'm paying attention, system mastery then. Yeah, okay, it's a thing. It's definitely a thing. But is it is it that much of a thing? So I kind of agree with both you and Joe, which is a quite, it was either very lame or it's it's quite, a, quite an achievement. I'm not quite sure which it is. But um, I think you're right in that well, if we're going to pick Pathfinder as the poster child for complexity, that's fine. There is definitely more going on in Pathfinder in terms of what's on your sheet. There literally are more things to look at, some probably some more options. And yep, that, that requires you to learn a little bit more to get comfortable and to use what you have on your sheet effectively in a game. So you are right. Joe is right, I think, because eh, is it that much of a big deal anyway? kind of I've introduced now I am talking about second edition Pathfinder so maybe there are nuances there I don't know um, because I think fourth edition was great um, but <laughs> I have introduced it to the family and yeah they just they just took to it uh, including character generation they just took to it okay it was first level characters not 13th or anything but you know they just took to it and it was fine and in play it was fine We've also got the thing where now there are tools available to take away the need for at least some system mastery. So, you know, um, you can use Path Builder or something else to, to, to get your characters going without the need to necessarily slavishly follow even an SRD. So there is something there, this balance between system mastery. But then I, I guess I'm saying how, how much of a big deal really is it? What might be more interesting for me anyway, is less system mastery and more player mastery. So how do you be a good player? What makes you a good player? I think probably somewhere at the bottom of the pile, somewhere in the pile is, is system mastery. It's there, isn't it? 
But how, how important is it? How much more important is it to look at the playstyle of the game, uh, adapt your playstyle as a player to that, cognizant of the people around the table or virtual table, sharing spotlight, allowing others to be awesome, keeping energy going, being attentive. Yes, yeah, certainly knowing knowing the rules when they interact with what you're doing and not having to fall over them all the time. That's clearly important. But really, probably, that's probably, for me, the one of the least important parts of it. I mean, I think it's irritating if somebody just you know insists on never learning the game. That kind of probably would get to me. But generally speaking, I've rarely had that experience. Maybe I've been lucky. But it's more about how you are around the table and how you maximise being a great player for the session. And that's interesting. And so I'm probably more interested in that. And I think system mastery can be overstated. There's my thought for the day. Thank you so much for those calls. Daniel pretty much agreed with me. So not that I want to minimize his contribution, but there's not a lot to say there. As far as first age goes, you sure you weren't born in Richmond, Virginia? You have a kindred soul in Joe. Now, I know you listen to my podcast, so you've probably heard the discussion on this side, but have you heard the discussion about this topic on Hindsightless? And I'm going to recommend two episodes in particular for you. Episode 263, Counting Arrows is a Skill, and Episode 269, Counting Arrows is a Skill too. And Joe makes a lot of those same arguments that the important, that system mastery is fine and good, and player skill is fine and good. But the player skills that matter are the interpersonal skills between the people in the RPG group and the teamwork between the different players. So I think if you haven't listened to those episodes of Hindsightless, you would really enjoy them. They are linked in the show notes of this episode. So go check them out. Joe does go a little bit off the rails here and there on some of the topics he discusses. But Joe has a ton of good ideas. He's a good friend. And and I would hardly recommend Hindsightless because... Every now and then, he really hits it out of the park. So we're going to move on from this conversation to another. In my Reaver recap that Joe had mentioned earlier, I asked if anybody knew what movie I was referring to when my character named his crossbow the Reaper. And Carl Rodriguez is going to give us an answer to that, but note he cheated because he just Googled it. That said, he, he does give us an answer. So let's hear what Carl has to say. Is that crossbow named Reaper a reference to the movie Mandy from 2018? I didn't think you watched modern movies. Is that a remake, maybe? Anyway, I was reading the summary of the movie, and it sounds pretty cool, though kind of horrific. So, um, yeah, maybe I'll check it out. I did have to Google it. I just put crossbow named Reaper in the Google search, and uh, Google Foo worked, I think, if this is what you're referring to. Mandy is not a remake. Mandy is a wholly new movie by, no, I can't pronounce the, the director's name, um, Pendopolis. Um, we'll come back to that in a second because I'll in- insert the correct um, pronunciation of his name. But no, it's not a new movie. It's a, but it's a Nicolas Cage movie. I watch all Nicolas Cage movies. Love Nicolas Cage. Mandy is kind of a psychedelic movie. It's made to feel like you're an ass trip, even though you're not. Pantos Cosmatos is the director. His father directed Tombstone, if you guys remember Tombstone. He also directed a, a, a little movie that's close to my heart, 
called Cobra, one of the great Christmas movies of our time. But that that's neither here nor there. The important thing here is Mandy is a great movie. It, it is recommended. And I'm going to link the trailer in the show notes, because if you guys haven't seen the trailer for Mandy, even if you're not interested in horror movies, even if you're not interested in going out to watch a new movie, take the two minutes to watch the trailer and tell me that's not one of the greatest tonal shifts in a trailer you've ever seen. The trailer is amazing. So check that out. Um, I'm just giving you a hard time about Googling it, Carl. I've definitely, when I hear something I'm not familiar with, I, I always just hop and Google it. But I, yeah, I hardly recommend Mandy. Great movie. Pantos's other movie is Beyond the Black Rainbow. And I've talked about it on this podcast before or on Spencer's podcast on uh, over at Keep Off the Borderlands. But Beyond the Black Rainbow is also a great movie. They could exist in the same universe. He makes movies that are kind of like retro 80s movies. Beyond the Black Rainbow definitely is not going to appeal to everybody, but it's also got that psychedelic kind of, you know, synth wave vibe going on that, that that's really cool. And, and I kind of think you would probably dig that movie too, Carl. So So check that out. Okay, but Carl has a little bit more to say about some topics, so I'm going to play his next couple calls. Oh, wow. I didn't know that the Cowboy Bebop on Netflix was live action. That should be very interesting. When we played the game Eclipse Phase, we really doubled down on some of the Cowboy Bebop tropes, not the anime style, clearly. And, of course, in Eclipse Phase, which is a post-apocalyptic future sci-fi but not like post-apocalyptic like mad max you're in space and you're the remnants of um of people of the earth survivors after um skynet became sentient and destroyed the world so they took some uh some derivative from terminator i don't know what came first who knows anyway so uh it's like a solar system there are gates so there's no gates in cowboy bebop that i remember but I felt like the space trucking kind of vibe was there, and we had some really memorable characters of my my uh, regular players. It was a cool game. To me, one of the most... Where there's two memorable... Well, there's quite a few memorable characters in this game. Anyway, so the three main characters that played, um, you played with one of them, and he, you know, he, he plays in a lot of my games. He's a friend of mine. Played for a long time. But he played Winston, who was an uplifted uh, ape a gorilla, and uh, he had a jetpack and used it to good effect. His coolest scene was when he smashed uh, into a hotel penthouse um, on Mars um, when they were going after a dude. And then we had a, a guy who played an octopus, uh, uplifted octopus, and a guy who played, um, it was, he played a, they're not really like a more of a replicant, but a, a Valkyrie replicant uh, that was a hermaphrodite. So a very interesting set of characters, and they were badass. I missed that game. And I'm sure your listeners hate hearing my war stories, but I've seen <laughs> that Eclipse Phase group. Oh, we had another guy who played like a he was a Methuselah human, who's a scientist to the friend of mine, a colleague of mine actually. Um, who doesn't work where I used to work anymore. He moved to uh, Alabama. But uh, he is a fun-ass player, and he also played a great uh, character who was not a... He, he plays more like weedy, weedy non-combat types, but they all seem to get into trouble. Anyway, so their MO was whenever they left 
at the end of a scene, there was an explosion behind him. Like they blew up a, a derelict spaceship. Um, they blew up that hotel. Uh, they blew up something else. <laughs> there was always an explosion at the end, which I thought was kind of neat. So uh, again, a fun group. Okay, Carl talking about Eclipse Phase. I have not played that game. I don't have any comments on that aside from post-humanism doesn't overly interest me. I will say Cowboy Bebop, I did finish watching the live action show. Really enjoyed it. It, you know, it's definitely a certain vibe and, you know, a certain kind of artsy kind of thing. But I had a lot of fun with it and would recommend it to folks. Definitely check it out. I also started watching the anime, the cartoon I don't know what, what's the right term, anime, cartoon, whatever, the the original source material. And I watched the first episode, and the first episode of the cartoon and the first episode of live action are kind of the same story. But there's 26 episodes of the cartoon, and there's only 10 episodes of live action. So I feel that they felt they had to put st- more stuff into the live action show. So actually that first episode of live action was more interesting to me than the cartoon was. I'll, I'll keep watching the cartoon, but I, I have to admit, I, I, I really like the vibe of the, the um, live action cow cowboy bebop and, and it ended in a place I didn't expect. So I was kind of surprised by the ending, but I don't know anything about cowboy bebop. So I was probably the perfect audience for that live action show. And, and that's on Netflix, by the way, as is the cartoon right now. Carl wants to talk about more games that I'm not in. Hey, Jason and all you nerds, variety cast listeners. Happy Thanksgiving. We're hustling, bustling, or at least Amy is hustling, bustling to get ready to get to go into our friend's house. We go there every year. This year, we're not doing a traditional turkey. We're doing a turkey roll, which you can hear in the background looking for stuff. So, so yeah, I definitely would like to continue this um, idea of the other and the fear of the other. That's definitely a trope in a lot of Cthulhu games, especially the modern games that I'd love to... Maybe because Cthulhu takes place back in the 20s in the past, it's not as in your face, so I definitely want to try a modern thing. Even Delta Green um, would be really cool, or some of the modern horror that Stygian Fox does. Um, it's more mature in theme, but Cult could also... Um, be interesting. I love my Steve Buscemi character, for example. I mean, if you can imagine Steve Buscemi in a, this role as a bookie from Detroit. Um, his name is Joey Novak, and he. Uh, we haven't experienced any of the. We experienced some weird, not some horror. So um, we'll see what how Kevin springs that on us, and I'll let you know what kind of horror he does bring on us. Anyway, I will talk to you later. Thanks for uh, the podcast, and I hope you keep it up. Thank you for calling in, Carl. I hope your Thanksgiving was wonderful as well. If you want to hear more about Colt and Carl's experiences playing that, check his podcast out. His podcast is The Geomologist Presents, and there's a link to the episode where he talks about a recent Colt game in the show notes. So go to the show notes, go to Carl's podcast. And listen to what he says about Colt. I'm sure he'll talk about the future games over there so you can hear about them. Colt's another game that doesn't overly interest me. I like horror games. I'm not into being Christian. I'm not overly into games that try to deconstruct Christianity and go into religious aspects. That just doesn't interest me. 
but it may interest you. So if it does, you should definitely check out The Geomologist Presents. Carl's not quite done. He has one more call. And I think this call is important because it emphasizes a problem that a lot of us GMs and a lot of groups have. Hey, Jason, I just wanted to really like apologize to you and your listeners for not running the Pathfinder 2 Abomination Vaults game. What I need to do, I think, in the future is even if there is one player, we're going to do something, especially since I felt bad because you like drove and you wanted to get there for the game and then someone else bailed and we knew one guy was leaving already and then that means only 50% of the people were there, so I didn't want to do it. But I probably should have just buckled down and, and run the game and not maybe run the dungeon, but run stuff around the world and done some like you know NPC building and world building uh, with it. Um, that's my fault. I need to be better about that. So in the future, if we got two people, and maybe even if we have one, we're going to run the fucking game. All right. Talk to you later. And Carl made good on that promise. The other day, we ran a DCC game. In fact, I recapped it last episode, and we only had two players show up three players, if you think the GM's a player, and Carl ran it. We had a lot of fun. So you can check out last episode to hear about that. I think this is a problem a lot of groups have, you know, especially with online groups where it's more common for people to miss games. And, and yeah, we, and we've talked about it, you know, more in depth, Carl and, and myself and some of the other people in our group. And, and what we're going to do is just have some convention games lined up, you know, games you would run at a gaming convention that are short, self-contained, three to four hour games with pre-gens for a variety of systems. And that way, if for whatever reason, we don't have critical mass, we don't have enough players to play an ongoing campaign game. We're going to say, okay, there's only two of us here. So we're not going to play that game today. We're going to play gangbusters or today we're going to play this call Cthulhu scenario or whatever it is, right? Today we're going to play Ninja city. And, and we're each going to have a couple of those games just in the hopper. And there'll be self-contained things. So that way, if the group gets together, even if it's a downsized group, we can still play. And I think that kind of plan is something it would be good for all groups to have. Now, if it's an in-person group, you can always break out a board game or something like that, too. But with online groups, you know, people make the effort to show up. You want to have something you can do with them. So I, I think that's important. And there are more and more games out there that are one-on-one games. Like I just did an unboxing recently of Beowulf which is a 5e-based game, but it's designed for one GM and one player. And I got it to play with my son, but it would also work for one of these sessions. If just one player shows up with Carl, then he can break out Beowulf and, and just do one-on-one. And Call of Cthulhu also works well in that, that regard. So, Carl, thanks for that call, and that's an important reminder to all of us to be ready for that eventuality. Next call up is Daniel Norton. Hey, Jason. Uh, Daniel from Bandits keep calling in about... VJ's answer to Carl's question about VJ's call. Uh, if I'm understanding VJ correctly, I think something like they live is, is similar to that, right? Where essentially all of society is like, you know, all the, I guess the police, the, the store owners, the corporations all are basically monsters or whatever, and nobody can see that, and even though, you know, uh, Roddy Roddy Piper uh, does see it because he has cool sunglasses. Uh, you know, that's maybe that's similar to what he's talking about. I'm not sure. The other thing I immediately thought of, too, was the Truman Show, which isn't really a, 
like horror thing, but it's it's you know it's one person that's completely isolated and separated from society that all believe they're doing the right thing, or you know they think it's fine what they're doing. And clearly, he does not. <laughs> Truman does. Daniel's calling about. I did a episode where I asked people to call in and say what they were afraid, what scared them. You know, ideally in movies, but you know what things they were afraid of. And then Carl called in asking BJ questions about his call. And BJ provided response, and I played that in a previous show. And Daniel was calling in, trying to understand BJ's answer. Now, I don't presume to speak for BJ. Of course, BJ has the Arcane Alienist podcast. I highly recommend you check that out as well. In fact, he recently did a very in-depth unboxing. In fact, he has a couple episodes where he talks about the new HeroQuest game. So if you want to hear about that, definitely check that out over there. And his most recent episode of Time of Publishing is The Psychology of Elves which is really cool, specifically elves in his game world. But I reached out to BJ and got an answer for Daniel's question from the man himself. So let's hear it. Hey, Jason. I think Daniel, I think he's got, yeah, I think that's the vibe I'm going for. And, and what his response, uh, they live. Um, the Truman Show, yeah, he, he, it's a good good point, even though it's not a, um, not a horror movie. I mean, if you think about it, if, someone, if we really did that, that'd be pretty horrific. <laughs> The other, um, the other one I was thinking of when he said that was Westworld, um, particularly the, the 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 television show on HBO where there's this constant question about what's real and what's not, and you know it kind of there's, there's some some mind bending stuff when you really think about what's going on in there, not only from the perspective of the androids but also from the humans at times. So. That would be, yeah, I, th- I think the, the They Live and, and The Truman Show are are kind of good ideas, good 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 examples of maybe what I was thinking about. Of course, everyone's just having a little more. And of course, now that I think of it, duh, The Matrix. <laughs> I can't believe I didn't put that one out there before. BJ, thank you for responding to Daniel's call. In fact, thank you to all my callers. I really appreciate all the calls. They make the show better. Listeners, I really thank you tuning in and listening to the show. Because if you weren't out there listening, I would just be talking to myself. I want to thank Ray Otis for the coffee cup clip art, TJ Drennan for the wonderful music. If you want to take part in the conversation, you can leave me a message on Anchor. You can send an email to nerdsrpgvarietycast at gmail.com. If you attach an audio file to it, I can play it on the air and make you famous. You can also find me on a variety of discords, most notably the Audio Dungeon Discord. And with that, I'm going to bid you adieu, and I'll be back. Let's see, today's Sunday. Yeah, Sunday. I'll be back next Wednesday. So take care, folks. Joke about your spouse, but the operator's screaming it's coming from inside the house. What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? Well, the audience is pretty sure he took a pretty head, and the only question left is if I better shoot him dead. Bring on the gold, bring on the gold. There is a dustman in your moil's body zipper And I'm assuming that's your partner back there in the wood chipper Don't look away, don't look away Don't 
the train wreck.